Jim and the Buckeye Boy from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. Thanks for joining us today. You watched Monday Night Football last night. Just really, really scary. With DeMar Hamlin, Buffalo Bills safety. Got a text from Faber College student body president Greg Marmelard praying for DeMar Hamlin. Been away from the radio forever and a day. Miss my Jim Davis show fix. Good morning, Jim and Buckeye. Good morning, Greg. Good to have you back. Yeah, we talked about maybe his reasons for being away. Well, in Animal House, Greg Marmelard yeah. uh, went to prison, worked for President Nixon. So, congratulations on your parole. Good to hear from you, Greg. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. Uh, the best to you and your family. All right. Long time P1, that guy. Long, long, long time P1. All right, 902. It's Mav Day when we uh, talk with Colorado Mesa coaches and athletes. Uh, Mike DeGeorge coming up later on, Maverick men's basketball coach. But uh, joining us right now on the Chick-fil-A Breakfast Team phone line is Maverick women's wrestling team, nationally ranked. Getting ready to head to the Midwest this weekend. Joining us right now is Travis Mercado. Travis, appreciate the time. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you, Jim? Doing well. So uh, you've had a little bit of downtime here for the holidays for your wrestlers. Uh, when you were on the mat, so before uh, the, the holiday break, uh, you were at the, the Desert Duels out in Las Vegas where uh, you were able to, to run your dual win streak to 18 after sweeping of the Desert Duels. An incredible performance by your wrestlers out in Las Vegas. Yeah, absolutely, right? We had a great, great competition right before our winter break um, at the Desert Duels in Las Vegas, Nevada. And, um, you know, some of the highlights of that weekend were beating Simon Frazier, right, a regional opponent who's in the women's wrestling world has been one of the top three teams every single year um, since at least when we started the program here in 2018-2019 season, um, but even before that. So having a big win like that, in our program, I think it really shows where we're at as a program, where we've been and how we're growing. And I think it gave us a real big boost of confidence going into this weekend's competition at National Duels in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, you win uh, against Simon Frazier 25-16. to 16. And you know, just take us through some of the, the highlights in terms of wrestlers and how they performed uh, throughout the course of that, that weekend with all, the, you know, as I mentioned, the, the dual streaks now at 18 straight. Some of the, the top individual performances for you. You know, we always talk about Marissa Gallegos, right? She comes in with, you know, being a fifth-year wrestler for us. She came in, um, had a great day beating um, the number four-ranked wrestler, Victoria Seal from Simon Fraser. You know, really kind of got us started in that match. Um, you know, and I think another one to really kind of always talk about, Jaylene Sakona, right? Finished third at the national championships last year. The girl she wrestled from, Simon Fraser. Um, was one of the girls that she had to beat, right? As Jaylene was an unranked wrestler going into that tournament, the girl that she beat from Simon Fraser um, at the national tournament, right? She wrestled her again, got another win against her. So a great performance from Jaylene. She's been very consistent for us at 191 pounds. Um, Holly Bodwin's back on the mat after a little time off, right? Ranked fourth in the nation right now at 136 pounds, went 5-0. and I think she had three pins and two technical falls in her performance that weekend. Um, but the one that I want to highlight probably the most is freshman Haley Chapman, right? Currently ranked fourth in the nation. Um, it, it was a big match for us in Simon Fraser duel, right, for her. She had wrestled that girl at the Missouri 
Valley Open about a month prior um, and lost 10-0. And it was kind of, we chalked it up as like, ah, oh, well, she got us, no big deal. Um, but Haley came out and pinned her in about a minute in that match. And that really kind of, you know, there's five team points for us, big bonus points. Um, and that's kind of the name of the game when it comes to the dual meet competitions, right? Bonus points, bonus points, bonus points. And Haley being able to kind of overcome that loss in November and getting the fall to really help our team kind of stretch the lead against Simon Fraser was a big highlight performance. Travis Mercado, coach of the Colorado Mesa women's wrestling team, joining us, number four team in the nation. And you mentioned how important that one against Simon Fraser was, a perennial power, uh, Travis. But talk about that ranking right now, being the number four team in the nation and how quickly you've been able to build this program into a, a national contender. You know, it, it, the rankings are great, and I think it's a great sign for us to kind of gauge where we're at in comparison to some of the other programs in the nation. Um, you know, sitting fourth at the last rankings, I think the next rankings came out this morning or coming out today, and we think we get moved up to three, um, which is great. You know, it, it's a back-and-forth game of that numbers, you know, who's got ranked, who's had wins, who has losses. Um, but really for us, right, I think it's about us just going out and performing. And why have we become so good over this short amount of time is I think we have the right group of girls here. They believe in what the program is, what our philosophies are, right? We talk about effort and performance. Um, like, that's what matters, not the outcome, right? Winning and losing happens in wrestling matches, right? If we can focus on having our best effort in everything that we do, right? Not just wrestling, school, life, social life. Um, that's where those successes come, right? And I think that's what these girls want. They want to be successful. They have this innate desire, hunger, if you will, to be successful. And each one has a different level of what they want to be great at, right? We have girls that want to make an Olympic team on this team. We have girls that want to contribute to help us win a national championship. That's like their main goal. Um, but having that group of girls that work well together and, you know, not only wrestle for themselves, but wrestle for this team and wrestle to represent this university. And I think that's what really made us great in the short amount of time. Travis Mercado, coach of the Maverick women's wrestling team with us on the team sports network. You referenced uh, the NWCA national duels, Travis, that start on Friday uh, at Louisville, Kentucky, at the uh, Kentucky International Convention Center. Right out of the gate, you get a nationally ranked team uh, going into, well, at least, at least today, their, their rankings at number nine, Lindenwood University. So uh, right out of the gate, you get a, a nationally ranked team, uh, likewise for your team as well, when you open things up in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, that's exciting, right? And again, we go back to talking about the rankings, right? Uh, we're approaching this weekend one match at a time, one individual match at a time, right? Number one on our, our list right now is Lindenwood, right? That's the match that's in the most important match right now. We're not really looking forward um, past that. But, you know, Lindenwood's a great program, right? They have some very talented young ladies, right? They have a girl from Colorado on their team who was very successful at the high school level. Um, you know, we've wrestled Lindenwood twice in the past, um, and we've won both times, so I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to wrestle a, another top-ranked team in the nation, right? I think that's the exciting part about that. We get to wrestle another highly-ranked opponent. We get to challenge ourselves and step out of our comfort zone a little bit and really step out and go and perform this weekend. And then you also will have either number 7 Presbyterian, number 13 Adrian uh, there as well. So that's uh, uh, another nationally ranked opponent that you could face coming up in your second duel. Yeah, right. You have Adrian. Um, I think they wrestled Presbyterian, who's also nationally ranked. So, like, we have a pretty tough first two rounds, which is exciting, right? You want to wrestle 
tough matches. You want to be against high competitive athletes. And I think that's something that we as a group have talked about the past couple of days is, right, we're excited to go out and compete. It doesn't matter who's going to be in the mountain in front of us, whether it's Lindenwood, Presbyterian, Adrian, King University, McKendree, North Central, right? We are just excited to go out and compete. What we're going to do in every single match is score as many points as we can in that six-minute period or in that two, three-minute period, that six-minute time frame. Um, and if we have more points than the other person, perfect. If we don't, well, we've learned something and we're going to move forward and take this information, come back when we come back to training and get back and get better from that. And then after uh, Louisville, Kentucky, you've got uh, on, on Saturday the 14th, uh, York College, the York College Open at uh, York, Nebraska. Uh, you'll also have Shadron State during that stretch the following Thursday, uh, the 19th. And so uh, an, an RMAC school, uh, of course, fairly new program of Shadron State. You get a chance to go to their place coming up on the 19th. Yeah, so the, uh, January is kind of heavy loaded for us, right? National duels this weekend, York Open the following weekend. We'll take some of the younger girls, get them a lot of matches in, girls that maybe didn't get a chance to compete on the front side of this season. Um, and then, again, I think a good highlight duel towards the kind of our, start our taper period for the regional championships, national championships, is going to Shadron, right? Uh, Coach Elijah Jeffrey's done a great job in the first year and a half of building this program up, and him and I talk a lot about how we're going to make this region as just two teams make this region really strong. Um, so, again, excited to go and compete at there. It'll be one of their first um, home duels of the year for them, and that's really exciting. And we're traveling with the men's team, and I think that's always the fun part about that is not only are we going to be there, but our men's team will be there, so we'll have a little home support, if you will, behind us. Hey, Travis, I appreciate the time. Congratulations on uh, all the great success before the holiday break, and uh, best of luck out in Kentucky coming up this weekend. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Go Mavs. All right. Take care. Travis Mercado, coach of the Colorado Mesa women's wrestling team, joining us in the program this morning. All right. So we'll talk with uh, Maverick men's coach Mike Mendoza in just a little bit on Mav Day, and then Mike DeGeorge, Colorado Mesa men's basketball coach. Uh, he'll be joining us later on right around uh, 940 this morning. All right, do want to mention something. I sent a text from uh, Armando Renteria, the uh, the boys lacrosse coach at Grand Junction High School. They have their bowling fundraiser going on. This is at Orchard Mesa Lanes, and it's coming up. It's on the 7th. So um, if you want information on that, call out to Orchard Mesa Lanes. So it's a chance to bring your friends uh, for an afternoon of fun, food, and prizes. And it's the bowling fundraiser, 2 to 4 o'clock, January 7th, Orchard Mesa Lanes to benefit the Grand Junction boys lacrosse team. Nice. That'd be a good time. Yeah. Think you might go out there, might uh, show your bowling skills? I don't I don't know. I got uh, I got full day on Saturday. That's true. It's a very busy day. Yeah, around the radio ranch and uh, Mesa CCU that night. That's so. true. So probably not. Probably not in the engine. Maybe. But, and I don't want to go out there and wreck everybody. No, it's just not. <laughs> or have them wreck you. Possibly. Unlikely, no. But, yeah, that's more likely than unlikely. not. Yeah. Unlikely. I don't the, think the so. The only people I really seem to bowl good against are <laughs> in our league. All right, so text or call us today, 970-242-1340. Jim along with the Buckeye boy. Oh, we want to get back to some of the stuff with Jim Harbaugh. Possibly, possibly becoming the Broncos' next head coach. Of course, we have a, a lot of miles to cover. Jim Harbaugh? Well... Not that bad. They have to, of course, interview other candidates to comply with the Rooney rule as well. Mm-hmm. So there have to be other 
Can't just, hey, let's hire Jim Harbaugh. Though, the Rooney rules we've talked about, and they've tried to put more teeth into it. And I don't know how you do that to make it fair for all candidates because teams are going to go and they're going to go get their guy. Right. Raiders wanted Gruden. They went and got Gruden and just barely, barely, you know, met the requirements of the Rooney rule. And I don't know how interviewed people who are minorities who who are there just to check the box of the Rooney rule feel about it. But as soon as there are rules put in place, the NFL puts them in place, and then it feels like teams are trying to find a way around the rule. Yeah. Right. doesn't matter what it is, what the, what the rule is. And now, I don't know, and again, this is me, and I'm not, they didn't need to create a Rooney rule for me, right? That's just not the way it is. So... When they have the Rooney rule, and you know they have to at least interview one minority candidate, and they bring you into interview, and you're the only minority, get it's hard not to imagine feeling like I'm not going to get this job. Like I'm, I'm not going to get this job. I'm here for a token interview. Like what? I'm wasting my time. They're wasting my time. What are we even doing here? You know what I mean? And so it, it feels that. No matter what happens with the Rooney rule, the fact that there is a Rooney rule, teams are going to find a way around it. And if there's a single minority candidate that gets interviewed by a team and doesn't get hired, that's kind of insulting to the guy, right? Absolutely it is. Because he has to know on some level that I'm not who they want. They're not going into this with the open mind of, hey, we're... they, They read things online they hear things they know things buzz in their business that the broncos want to hire right now it's jim harbaugh Mm -hmm. it's jim harbaugh sean payton and everybody else yeah maybe dan quinn right the more i read the less i think frank reich is anywhere even in their Mm -hmm. their thoughts right now but like if you bring in anthony lynn you know or bring back joe woods to interview they they know they're not getting that job if Jim Harbaugh comes in interviews and they offer it to Jim Harbaugh. Now, if the other guy interviewing for that job is Josh McDaniels, then yes, you have a chance it's because just, he's going to accept it and then turn his back and then go work for the Raiders. But what if you're a guy like D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco or Ajiro Vero with the Broncos? Two, two guys, young, bright, up-and-coming coordinators in this mm-hmm. league, both orchestrating really good defenses. And and people view you as a as a candidate, a legitimate candidate. I think, but then but then you hear about the the Harbaugh stuff or Peyton mm-hmm. or whatever, and and you're thinking, man, that you know, it's one thing if you're like Joe Woods, you're kind of um, a recycle to a degree. Jim Caldwell yeah. certainly, even though Jim Caldwell should not have been fired by the Lions no. when when he was fired, and that was a great injustice mm-hmm. to Jim Caldwell because he was doing a great job turning things around in Detroit. But you're one of those young coaches, one of those young African-American coaches that people talk about being a head coach. And you're going, well, wait a minute. But they, they're already talking about Harbaugh. They want this guy. And he's coaching the NFL, and I understand that on some level. Mm-hmm. But I you – know, and for Denver, who's already you know, – who's who's they've hired a, a black head coach in Vance Joseph that – 
I guess in the case of Denver, I'm okay with, I don't want to hire another first-time head coach. Yeah. And Denver can can say that and go, yeah, we've hired three you know, first-time guys and none of them worked out. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand where, if you're Denver, we don't want to go down this road again. But man, I, I certainly hope that that you know that they give Ajiro Vero uh, and and D'Amico Ryan's the, the the full the full vetting process and going okay, I can envision this guy leading right. this football team. And, and the, and, the and, sad and, part is, is that list of experienced candidates who also fit into Rooney Rule, you know, uh, compliance. That list does not get longer very often. No. You know, but the other list of red, you know, retread former experienced coaches who are white gets longer every single yeah. year, and that's unfortunate. The, that's the track record the NFL has to look at. I do think when you when you cross reference just the two against each other, I do think Ajiro Averro has a a much better chance of getting this job than D'Amico Ryan because they know him. He's there, and he's he's had success with the personnel that they have. They know him. That ownership group knows him. Mm-hmm. And that does give him a leg up. There, there's little doubt about that. And I just think that when what happened with Brian Flores with the Giants job and Belichick and the, hey, wait, congratulations, Brian. Yeah. What do you mean, congratulations? I haven't even interviewed for the job yet. Oh, I met Brian Dybul, not, right. not you. That, that's, that's, that makes it tough in terms of minority candidates feeling like they're getting an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity to a job. So in the case of Harbaugh, we mentioned the buyout's only $3 million, which to the Walton Pinner group, like Mike Rice said, is is lunch money. Repentance, yeah. It's just a, it's like what they'd pay for a month of Netflix, something like that. And and so that that's not, it's not an obstacle. Harbaugh went 44-19-1 as an NFL coach. Took the Niners to the Super Bowl where he lost to his brother, John. Broncos make sense on, a lot, on some different fronts here. This would, you know, the Stanford connection. Greg Pinner and his wife both graduated there. Condoleezza Rice, we talked about how she used to do some recruiting for mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh back in the day. John Elway went to Stanford, too. There's that. John Elway went to Stanford, though John's not really... One of the greatest Broncos of all time went but, to Stanford, John Lynch. <laughs> even greater than John Elway, right? Yeah. He's John Elway is not even the best John to have a seven on his jersey for the Broncos. <laughs> but the other thing about about Harbaugh is that he does fit the CEO kind of approach mm-hmm. that Greg Pinner talked about the other day. Of a guy that will oversee all three facets of the football team. And, and that would be Jim Harbaugh. At this point in time, this will be a very fascinating Broncos coaching search to watch. Because, like they said the other day, George Payton and Greg Pinner were looking to hire a guy to be the coach of the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. not Russell Wilson's coach. And how is that relationship going to look moving forward with Jim Harbaugh, former Wilson adversary yeah. in the old in the in the NFC West, I, having him come in to be the head coach now of Dangerous. I also wonder how much George Payton's going to have any sort of say on this process because he hired a guy specifically to get Aaron Rodgers, and I think that is blatantly obvious at this point. If it's yeah. not, you got your head buried in the sand. So he hired a coach 
specifically for a single quarterback that they didn't get, by the way. And then try to make they a system tried work. to make it work with a quarterback who was playing B needs way more guardrails than anybody anticipated, apparently. <laughs> you know? And needs somebody to come in and have the swagger and more importantly, backing to tell the quarterback to you sit in here with everybody else or you run this play as it's called and that's it. You know, if if you need to run, you run. If you need to throw it away, you throw it away. You don't just spin around back there getting slung around by your jersey and chuck the ball up into well, the Kansas City sky. To make, to make it work for us, a couple things have to happen. Number one, offensive line has to be better. But number two, the Broncos have to run the football. To take advantage of play action, the deep shots that, that Wilson does, that's one of the things that he does best. Mm-hmm. They've got to build this offense to to really speak to the things that he does well. And that's I'm, not sit in the pocket yeah. and throw the ball 50 times a game. I'm giddy for the next five years if they hire Jim Harbaugh. One, because the khaki pants is a doofus and it's going to be hilarious. Two, he's a run-the-ball-and-play-defense guy. That's why Russ is in Denver's, because his old head coach was a run-the-ball-and-play-defense yeah. guy. Which is kind of funny. So then. now that he, they're stuck with Russ, and Russ hates that style of play enough to wiggle his way out of Seattle, it'll be fascinating for a non-Broncos fan for the next five years or however long Jim Harbaugh is the coach before he goes and takes a job at Ole Miss or whatever. I mean, is is there some kind of compromise that comes into the offensive philosophy, but it's still going to be run the ball, play defense, and that's still going to be the emphasis. Jim Harbaugh and compromise don't really go well together. Which I, I don't think that's probably going to be the outcome of this. No. It will be interesting to see, no doubt about it. All right, we'll take a break. Coming up next, uh, Mike Mendoza, CMU men's wrestling coach, joins us on Mav Day on the Team Sports Network. Good morning, gentlemen. What are the haps? The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Get in the locker room with Colorado Mesa Sports. This is Mav Day on the team. Joining us on the Chick-fil-A Breakfast Team phone line is the coach of the Maverick men's wrestling team. It's Mike Mendoza. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Before the holiday break, uh, your wrestling team had the chance to go out and compete in the Midwest Classic uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. It took fourth out there as a, from a team standpoint, Mike, but uh, you had five wrestlers that placed. Uh, a good showing by the Mavericks out there at the Midwest Classic. Yeah, great showing. I mean, having five guys place is uh, it's a big deal. It's a tough tournament. One of the tougher tournaments that we compete in the top division two teams are are there so yeah it was great great performance uh one of the guys we need to talk about of, of the five that placed uh, ryan wheeler was a two-time placer at the midwest classic finished third at 157 and uh, kind of take us through the, the weekend that he had because he had a an outstanding effort on the mats for you he he had a phenomenal tournament um he, you know, lost a, a, a match in the, on the front side and, and then wrestled that kid on the back side and, and ended up pinning him. Uh, so sometimes you just lose those matches to, you know, maybe guys that you, you should, should have beat. Uh, but anyway, finished the tournament strong, taking third. Got six pins along the way, the most falls of, of the tournament. Um, so super impressive performance by him. Another guy that wrestled well. And that was a 133. That's Colin Metzger wound up in uh, sixth place. 
uh, just like Ryan Wheeler, a two-time placer at the Midwest Classic. He had a, a really good weekend as well. He did. He did. He's, you know, and, and really, honestly, hasn't been wrestling his best. I mean, he's not wrestling bad by any means, but um, certainly, you know, I think we walked away from that tournament thinking, man, we let a couple couple of those matches get away that, that uh, maybe we shouldn't have. But, uh, but otherwise, all in all, was a great, great tournament for him. Another one of your veteran guys, Dawson Collins, finishing eighth at 125, uh, one for two on that final day. So uh, he was able to, like I said, uh, get himself into position to place. Uh, uh, kind of take us through where, where Dawson Collins is right now in the season. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, he wrestled some tough tough kids out there. And, and um, you know, some of these guys he'll he'll see again. And I, and I think he'll fare uh, better against them next time he, he does. But, uh, yeah, he's he's doing well. Um, you know, he kind of got caught and tossed in one of the matches. It was a close match, and he got headlocked. I mean, his head, his, his heels went over his head. It was it was a beautiful throw. He got really tossed really well. Um, some of the guys on the team were making fun of him after that, uh, so it was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but he laughed at it too. Um, but uh, yeah, he we, he he made a, a highlight. Uh, a uh, little reel that the guys put together is is pretty pretty funny. Um, but Dawson's a hard worker, and uh, you know he's going to look at some of those positions that he got in trouble with and ended up getting pinned in a couple of those uh, that I think won't happen again the next time you know he, he wrestles those guys. Maverick men's wrestling coach Mike Mendoza with us today on the Team Sports Network, and we also want to talk about a couple of your underclassmen that placed and uh, sophomore one seventy four. Uh, Alex Holqueen took fourth place. Uh, he got the medical forfeit over a Hank Carey of Notre Dame, Ohio, and then got a five to three decision over uh, third ranked Dylan Walker of Mercyhurst uh, to get some payback for one of the two losses in the tournament. So uh, a good weekend for Holqueen uh, with his fourth place finish. Yeah, he, he, he yeah on the front side wrestled. I think the kid might have been ranked ranked second at the time in the country and and lost that close one and. And, and um, you know, really kind of gave him some confidence knowing that, man, he was right there to, to beat that guy and in position to win the match. And, and then wrestled him on the consolation side and, and just wrestled with more confidence, was out there just striking with his offense and ended up pulling out that, that win that second day. And, uh, but a great performance for him. I mean, that's, um, you know, a tough tournament and he wrestled really well and, and uh, wrestled quality opponents and, and ended up placing. So, very good for him. And then to wrap it up, uh, Gus Dalton, we've talked about him before, the redshirt freshman, who's now 7-2 and two on the season. He took 7th at 165, so it was a really good weekend for Gus as well. Gus is, is coming along really well. You know, he actually started the season late with, a, with an injury, um, and so he, you know, missed a lot of the early competition opportunities. Um and wrestled in one dual meet, and this was his first big tournament. So to go out to one of the toughest tournaments that he'll wrestle in this, this year, um, you know, before postseason, uh, and to perform like he did was, was amazing. He's getting better and better every match. You know, he went on a two-year mission, came back, didn't really know how to wrestle, got better pretty quick last year, and then this is his opportunity, of course, after a redshirt year, to compete and he is he's doing you know awesome uh couldn't ask for anything more from him 
CMU men's wrestling coach Mike Mendoza with us today on the Team Sports Network. I referenced earlier, Mike, that you finished fourth at the Midwest Classic. Uh, that's the the highest finish for the Mavericks ever in that uh, in that tournament. You were also the highest placing RMAC team as well with that fourth place finish. Uh, that feel pretty good to have that kind of, like I said, the individual placers that did so well for you, but from a team standpoint, uh, that's a really tough tournament, and that's a, an outstanding finish. Yeah, everybody won matches. Everybody contributed to the team finish. Um, and, you know, prior prior to that, coming off, uh, you know, uh, maybe a tough a tough loss, dual loss, uh, maybe a few weeks earlier, kind of fired us up and, uh, you know, got us wrestling, you know, a little bit more like we should. And, and yeah, what a great performance at a, at a tough tournament um, with every guy, every guy scoring points. And then I know uh, coming up, uh, you've got uh, you're gonna be on the road and uh, going to be uh, traveling out to the uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, the NWCA National Duel. So you'll be heading out there. Believe the women's team; they're traveling with you as well. That's right. Yep, we're both traveling out, and uh, yeah, brackets are set there. So looking forward to uh, you know competing. It's a little bit different of a tournament because <clears throat> it's dual meets. And so just a little bit different format than the individual tournament. But, uh, but yeah, again, we'll face some tough competition and, and uh, another test. And you open up uh, that tournament, by the way, out in Louisville, Kentucky. You get uh, number four, West Liberty University. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, they're, they're a tough team. They've got a lot of dual meets under their belt so far, uh, as we noticed, and um, not a lot of of film to scout from them uh, as they really have been in more dual meets and, and tournaments, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be a real test and, um, I'm looking forward to it. Hey Mike, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Have a safe trip out there. Best of luck to you and, and your Maverick wrestlers out uh, in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Likewise. Take care. Mike Mendoza, coach of the Colorado Mesa men's wrestling team joining us today on Mav Day. All right, Mike DeGeorge, Maverick men's basketball coach, coming up in just a moment. And right now, it's... That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, we go back to 1920. Boston Red Sox owner Harry Frazee sells... Do you know the story? You know the story. Of course you know the story. Yeah. Uh, George, some dude named George. Some name, some guy named George Herman Ruth. Yeah, Herman. P.W. Herman. Babe Ruth gets sold to the Yankees for $125,000 plus a $350,000 loan because Harry Frazee's girlfriend was in a production of Na Na Nanette and he needed the money to get the, the play on Broadway. And so that's why he ends up selling one of the greatest players of all time. All right, 1946. George Wolf falls off headfirst from his mount. Please me as he rounds the clubhouse turn in the fourth race at Santa Anita Park. Suffering from a concussion, the 35-year-old jockey is taken to the hospital where he dies the following day. Wolf, known as the Iceman for his coolness in the saddle, had 3,784 mounts, 721 wins, 589 seconds, and 468 third-place finishes with uh, earnings over $2 million in his 18-year career. 1973, a 12-member group headed by George Steinbrenner buys the New York Yankees from CBS for 
million. 1991, Wayne Gretzky scores three goals, including his 700th, as the LA Kings beat the Islanders by the score of 6-3. to three. And 1993, on this day, Buffalo Bills stage pro football's biggest comeback, what well, was, to beat the Houston Oilers 41-38 in overtime in the first round of the NFL playoffs. Oilers held a 35-3 lead, one minute, 41 seconds into the third quarter. Frank Reich throws four touchdown pass to give Buffalo its first lead of the game, 38-35. Al Del Greco's 26-yard field goal ties the game. Steve Christie kicks the game winner, 32-yard winner in overtime as the Bills defeat the Houston Oilers. And 1995, Nebraska, the fourth team to finish 13-0 in Division I football history, wins its first national title since 1971 as the Cornhuskers are the overwhelming choice in the AP poll. All right, 937. And coming up next, Mike DeGeorge, Maverick men's basketball coach. That's on the way on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. First of all, it's hilarious. Warped, twisted individuals. Yes. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Talking Colorado Mesa men's hoops with Mavs coach Mike DeGeorge on the team. With us right now on the Chick-fil-A Breakfast Team phone line, he's the coach of the Maverick men's basketball team, Mike DeGeorge. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Jim. How's it going? Going fine, Mike. I always appreciate the time. Successful road trip for your basketball team. You are able to get the the victory at uh, CSU Pueblo and then also knocked off New Mexico Highlands as well. And uh, a really good weekend for Blaze 3, 16 points, hit some big threes in that win against CSU Pueblo, 67-60. to also played uh, really well in that win against Highlands on Saturday. Yeah, there's no question he's, uh, he's really making us go. And, you know, in the past, prior to this season, there were times where we saw his brilliance, and then there were times where certain game plans would confuse him or he just couldn't quite find a rhythm in the game. And he's just really found that maturity point where – no matter what the other team's doing, uh, we know we can rely on him at both ends of the floor. And um, you know, to have a six foot four, you know, whatever he is, two hundred twenty pound uh, bull in a china shop that's also an elite uh, lead guard and and can make shots is pretty special for us. And, and other guys obviously played well. Uh, Reese Johnston had ten points in that game. Mac Rineker doing what Mac does, filling up the stat sheet. Ten points for him in that game. Uh, Mick McCurry had a good game with nine points. But, but a guy that really kind of helped uh, kind of establish what you guys were able to do from three-point range in that game was Isaac Jessup with a couple of back-to-back threes early on. Yeah, and all those guys are doing a great job. And I think, you know, um, if you just looked at, like, when we had problems in that one weekend in early December, we lost both games. We really invested more playing time in both Isaac and Mick, thinking, you know what, they both really execute our defense. And they're both shot makers, and if we can put those guys around Mac and Trevor and Blaze, that makes us, you know, uh, we just need some really good guys that can, you know, fill that role, defend, be reliable, and be shot makers. And they both uh, showed that this weekend. I think defensively, uh, you know, you look at Meekness Payne had, had 16 points. They only had two guys in double figures. So defensively, did a nice job against CSU Pueblo, a pretty good offensive basketball team. Yeah, it was a, we took a big step forward defensively. We really made a huge point of emphasis in that first week back that we just needed to improve our communication. So we set up all of our defensive drills based on our communication. So we just went through different offensive concepts uh, to review all of our communication. I just felt like we were way more dialed in and talking through everything, and it just made a huge difference in the defensive end. 
And then that carried over to, to Saturday where you uh, held Highlands to 53 points. You get the 84-53 to 53 victory in that one. Mentioned the weekend Blaze 3, Dad. Another uh, double-digit game, 16 points. And that one, Christopher Speller played really well. He had 14. Trevor Baskin had 14. Owen Koontz had 11. As once again, like I said, the, the defense did a really nice job once again on that road trip. Yeah, that was, you know, we obviously made shots on that uh, night, which kind of helped us build the lead. But we struggled early in that second half, but we really kept guarding and, and making them earn everything. And it's just, you know, I, I think that was one of the things we talked to the team about before they left for break is, you know, if there's one area this team is missing from not having Georgie Dancer and Jared Small this year is that when things get tough, the, uh, they always kept us engaged defensively with how they communicated. And without them, we had times where when things weren't going well on offense, we get quiet on defense and then our defense kind of falls apart. So uh, that was a big point of emphasis, and the group really responded. And we saw that against Highlands. They started pressing and switching everything, and the game got a little chaotic there. But our defense hung in there until we kind of figured out how to handle the press and, and finish at the other end. And so right now you're on a five-game winning streak. It's the second longest in the conference, Black Hill State. Uh, your old nemesis, they're off to a sensational start. They're 6-0 and in conference. They're 12-0 and in the season. But right now your team is the second-hottest team in the RMAC. Yeah, I, I mean, either us or Shadron, who we play on Friday. So they're, they're, they're playing really well uh, as well. But we feel good about, you know, the improvement we're making. And we think we got uh, another level to get to. And we're working hard this week to see if we can uh, be ready for two good teams this weekend. And you mentioned Shadron State on Friday. They're 8-4 they're and four overall. They're 5-1 and one in conference play right now. So it's a, it's a team that uh, right now is playing some of their, their best basketball maybe in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, for sure. So they, they really defend, and then they run dribble drive on offense. So they just kind of stretch out, and they have quick guards that can really uh, drive it in there and put a lot of pressure on you not to foul them. And, and, uh, and, so they, they, uh, and then they just have a little bit more offensive punch this year. And so they're off to a great start, and they've got an interesting week. They played Metro on Saturday, then they made up their Regis game that they missed before Christmas yesterday, and then they're at UCCS today. And then I think they're driving over to Grand Junction on Wednesday and just, you know, gone on a little mini vacation here of Colorado for them. So. Well, I, look, no offense to the folks in Nebraska, a trip to uh, the Centennial State. I'm <laughs> sure if you're uh, a Nebraskan, you're always looking forward to that. I'm just. Yeah, no question. <laughs> no question about that. Uh, they're currently fourth at defense right now, the Eagles. They're, they're, as you mentioned, they've improved offensively. They're sixth in the conference in scoring right now. Isaiah White for them has uh, been the guy that uh, has led them on the offensive end, Mike, averaging almost 17 points per game. Yeah, they have a couple dynamic scoring transfers that are really good. And then uh, the Jefferson kid is a quick little point guard who's been there for a long time now. I think I feel like he's been there the whole time I've been here, but uh, my Kyle Boucher was telling me that I've been there that long. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so they've got some veteran leadership, and then they got a lot of new guys, uh, and they're all buying into their defense, and they just have a little bit more talent offense this year. So it'll be a big challenge for us. And then uh, on Saturday night, it's Colorado Christian, and you look at their where they're in the standings right now, uh, Colorado Christian 2-5 and five in conference play, 6-7 and seven overall. And when it comes to some of the key numbers, they're, they're currently 8th uh, in defense, giving up over 75 points per game. As far as scoring the basketball, they've uh, they've had some challenges at times with that. They are next to last in the conference, averaging just sixty nine points per basketball game. So they've they've had their struggles on both ends. 
Yeah, they have, and they've also had their moments. I mean, they beat Northern Colorado at Northern Colorado, uh, and they, you know, took uh, DU down to to the wire. I think it was a single-digit loss. So they've certainly had some good moments, and they've played people tough. Um, You know, they are – they lost. They had three dynamic guards last year, and they really struggled to defend. And they two of those guards left, and uh, one is back. But they've added more size, and they've added more athletes. And so – they are a more competitive team this year because they are better defensively, and they're very well coached, and their offensive concepts are, are excellent. So they do create challenge. They don't have the scoring punch of those three guards that they had last year, but they're going to grind it out, and they're going to execute, and you got to be on top of your game uh, to really hold them down because their concepts are great. And they've got four guys in double figures right now. Uh, Jason Gallant averaging almost 14 points per game. DJ McDonald at over 13 points per game. So they do have some balanced scoring in their lineup. Yeah, DJ McDonald is a transfer from Division One who's been there for a couple of years now. And he can really get high and get going. And, you know, with the way they're defending now, if they get one of those guards going off, you know, they could be a real challenge. Mike DeGeorge, coach of the Cutter Mesa men's basketball team with us on the Team Sports Network. And, and Mike, before we wrap it up here, I have to acknowledge something I talked about on yesterday's show. Uh, congratulations to you and also to David Scaff, the, the uh, beach volleyball coach. Both of you are finalists for Mile High Sports Magazine's College Coach of the Year here in the state of Colorado, David Carl, who guided the DU Pioneers to the National Hockey Championship, won that award. But I thought it was so cool to open that up and see you and David Scaff and they're representing Colorado Mesa. I had no idea that happened, so that is a, it's a great honor. And today's my 53rd birthday, Jim, so I appreciate you sharing that with me on my birthday. So, Well, happy birthday, Mike. I did not yeah. I did not realize I was delivering some, even though you didn't win, I'm yeah. sorry to say. I, I wish I could say you won, and that'd make it even an even better birthday present. But like they say about the, the Grammys or their Oscars, it's just an honor to be nominated, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Uh, well, well, congratulations. So explain to me how is Chris Hanks not nominated every year? Can somebody explain that to me? How is he not nominated? Uh, yeah, Buckeye's holding his arms up. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. That's a I don't fantastic know how, point, really. I don't know how every year that guy doesn't get in there, but for some reason yeah. he wasn't. I, I don't know. Somebody Did he do somebody wrong at Mile High Sports? Did he, when they when they were over there in Denver, did he break the windshield of, uh, the, of a car of, for somebody at Mile High Sports? I'm not sure. I don't know when he was. The only explanation, I think. I don't know. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of, too, Mike. Uh, don't forget, we'll have Maverick basketball this weekend on the team at 1100 KNZZ. Maverick men both nights, Friday and Saturday at 7 30. Friday night on the team, Saturday on KNZZ because of NFL coverage on the team. So, Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And once again, congratulations on, on being nominated for the Mile High Sports Magazine College Coach of the Year in the state of Colorado. I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks. Take care. Mike DeGeorge. Happy birthday to Mike DeGeorge today. 53. I thought, so apparently they don't let you know. I'll have to ask Cody this tomorrow. Yeah. Cody I mean, Rourke, they, apparently they, they, this is, they, they don't let them know that they're nominated for this these awards? It sounds was that a, way, I he guess. He was a finalist yeah. and David Scaff, who, congratulations to David Scaff. In the news a lot this week. Look at that guy go. Uh, David's wife delivering twins, mm-hmm. like on New Year's Eve, correct? Yes. Yeah, they've been New the Year- last babies of twenty-two. If yeah. I read the story correctly, which is touch and go. Well, congratulations to David Scaff, the uh, beach volleyball coach, Dave Fleming's assistant, who got nominated for Mile High Sports mm-hmm. Coach of the Year, College Coach of the Year, and is a proud papa. 
of uh, of a couple of twins. Yeah. All right, so nine fifty one. Jim, along with the Buckeye boy today, text or call us nine seven zero two four two thirteen forty. Let's see. Uh, we've got one from Dylan. I know the NFL is getting ripped for taking so long to postpone the game, but I saw a thing where they wanted so the crowd could be contained in their seats so there wasn't an influx of traffic for the ambulance. Prayers for DeMar Hamlin. Very scary. That is a valid point. That makes sense, yeah. That you, obviously, you want to be able to get the ambulance out of there you know, unobstructed as quickly as possible to get him to the hospital. Uh, they RJ did and, have a police at the escort, too. Yeah. That one from RJ and Delta. Guys, the Rooney Rule either needs to be readdressed, changed, or go away completely. The rule has good intention but doesn't accomplish what they really wanted it to do in the first place. Teams will eventually pick the guy they wanted all along. It has been... I mean, like I said, the, like, I think I agree with RJ on that. The intention's always been good. Mm-hmm to provide more interview opportunities for minority candidates. But time and time, how how often do we hear Buckeye, Coach or Team A identifies Coach B, and A, and, you know, A brings in, like we said, my, you know, minority candidates who don't really have have a shot because they've, they've got their guy. Right. They know who they want already. They, they've already identified the coach that they want. Yeah, it and happens s- all the time. And so, I, I wish there. I wish I knew what was the best, most equitable way to address more minorities getting hired as head coaches and mm-hmm. coordinators in the league. I don't know what that is because, as as like you said, it seems like every time the NFL tries to put a rule in or a thing like the Rooney Rule, it's like teams immediately start working on how they can on a workaround, how they can get around, how they it. can subvert it, yeah, instead of abiding by. The, the intention of the rule. And it's difficult because teams, they, they identify who they want as a coach. For Denver, you want a coach. One of your criteria is, I want somebody that's already been a head coach. Gone down the first-year head coach three times. Mm-hmm. Hasn't worked. I need somebody that's been there, done that. And so, who does that become now in terms of minority candidates? A guy like Jim Caldwell? I'd be shocked if Denver interviews Jim Caldwell. I don't think there's any way they interview him. Brian Flores, with with I think the history now with the NFL, the lawsuit and all that kind of stuff, I think it's going to be tough for him to ever get a head coaching opportunity in the NFL. Right. He's now on the staff for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I think it'd be really tough for Brian Flores to ever get another opportunity to be a head coach in the league. Yeah, it's going to be hard. So... We'll see how this plays out, but certainly there's a lot of things that scream Harbaugh coaching the Broncos Mm -hmm. in 2023. And good luck. All right. Do we want to do garbage time? Do you have any garbage time? I got something real quick, yeah. Okay, well, let me go ahead and make this happen. Here we go. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. So this is a week or so old, but uh, apparently internationally, not apparently, internationally Fox and ESPN and others carry a lot of cricket. Sport I don't really understand. The scoring, most importantly. 
But what happened in South Africa has nothing to do with that because Skycam wiped out a South African <laughs> cricket player. And Rich Nortji got wiped out by one of the Fox cameras. Uh-oh. Whoops. The Flying Fox Spider Cam. Wham. Okay, I have not watched Man all of it. down. I started watching this. Uh-huh. A Christmas Story Christmas, which I should have watched at Christmas, but I didn't. Yeah. The sequel to A Christmas Story with Ralphie all grown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that played Scott Farkas in that. Yeah. He said he's been going to, for years, he's gone to bars and guys have wanted to fight him. <laughs> because he's Scott Farkas. He's like, Farkas. That's, a char- that's a character I played. Anyway, that's our show. Back tomorrow.